Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about the law of faith and Romans 3.27 is our main text because it talks about the law of faith. And so let's read it together. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Everybody say law of faith. Faith is a law. Quick review. It's a spiritual law by which we access the grace of God. Remember Romans chapter 5 that tells us, by grace we access this, by faith we access this grace wherein we stand. So it's by faith we access the grace. There's saving grace, healing grace, delivering grace. There's all kinds of grace, manifold grace of God. And so we access it all by faith. But since it's a law, there are conditions that must be met for that law to be effective. And we talked about just like natural laws are in operation. The law of gravity is in operation. Can you imagine if someone says, I don't believe in the law of gravity? Well, I just don't suggest they walk off a top building, a tall building, because it works. But there's aerodynamic law, aerodynamic law, that law of thrust and lift will raise you up above the law of gravity and set in motion a law that will keep you in the sky as long as it maintains its operation. If it were to falter in any way, what happens to that airplane? coming down because the lower law of gravity will kick in and take over and so we talked about these laws have to be in operation we said faith is a fight and we've got enemies obviously we've got opposition you can say that's why we're told to fight the good fight of faith but what is the fight of faith do we box do we wrestle do we use bombs bows and arrows no the fight of faith is a fight with words, words that we speak. And so whether it's the flesh, the mind, circumstances, people, the devil himself were to use words like David spoke to Goliath, words of faith, and he took his life, not with a sling and stones, but with words brought him down. That was just what was used, but it was words that set in motion a spiritual law that enabled him, this little boy, to overcome this giant. As we continue, we're going to share with you some of the conditions we discover in the Word of God that have to be in play or operation so that our faith can be effective, so that we can receive all that belongs to us in Christ and walk in the light of it. But remember this in Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. We're told that they didn't enter in the promised land because of what? Unbelief. And a warning was given to us that we too could be denied the promised land, the full blessings of God, because the gospel being preached to them didn't profit or benefit them because they didn't mix faith with it. It's important to mix faith with the gospel or it won't benefit us. You ladies that maybe bake a cake, put all the ingredients in a bowl, put it in the oven without mixing it. See how it comes out. I don't think it'll be that good. We got to mix faith with the gospel as well. Otherwise, it's not going to work, which is why to me, this is one of the most important subjects in all the Bible. Without faith, we cannot please God. It's impossible. Impossible. He was not pleased with them in the old covenant because they 
did not believe his word. He said, you saw my signs, you saw my wonders, but when will you start believing my word? So faith is all about the word of God. So the number one condition, it must be faith. Faith must be based on the word of God. We don't manufacture our own faith. Our faith is based on the word of God, whether it's spoken or whether it's written or whether it's given to us by an angel. How many remember when Zacharias was told he's going to have a baby and that his elderly wife is going to bear a son and his name would be John, right? Gabriel gave that announcement and the priest, think about it. There he is in the temple. It's his turn. It's his duty. He's worshiping. He sees the angel. He has this appearance and he says, well, that really can't be because my wife's old. Mm-mm. What does Gabriel say? Can you imagine him standing there just burning up? I am Gabriel. I came from the presence of God to deliver to you this message. And because you don't believe it, you will not speak until your child is born. Struck dumb till the child was born. How important are our words then? Same Gabriel appears to Mary and says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb the Son of God. She says, how can that happen since I don't know a man? He says, the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. And that child that you be, be, become from you will be the Son of God. What does she say? Be it unto me according to your word. Didn't hesitate. Not like Zacharias, who was the priest. So this 15-year-old girl understood faith, whereas he didn't. Okay, first text, Numbers 23 19. Love this verse of scripture. There's no guarantee we're going to get past point one tonight, but we'll do our best. Numbers 23 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Okay. Well, let's look at that. Since God's not a man, he's not going to lie. If he says something, he does it. If he speaks something, he makes it good, correct? You know why he doesn't lie? He's not limited like we are. He's not a finite being like we are. We don't say anything out of our mouths that at some point can be wrong. I'll meet you next Tuesday for lunch. I didn't know next Tuesday my car would break down. Or I'd have a flat tire. Or I'd get called out to work. See? Because I can't see the future. Can you? I can't predict the future. Can you? So I didn't know my car would break down. I didn't know I'd have a flat tire. I didn't know I'd be called out to work. So even though I said I would be there, I lied. I've got a good excuse. But I lied. I'm not going to be there. Now, if I was God, I would say, I'll be there Tuesday. I'll meet you at 12 o'clock at Panera Bread. Guess what? He knows his agenda on Tuesday. He knows what's going to happen on Tuesday. He never would have said it if he knew he'd have a flat tire. Or one of the clouds would burst. I don't know. Whatever he does, right? In other words, he knows the future. So whatever comes out of his mouth, he knows will come to pass. 
He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. So he can't lie. So if he says, I'll be there, he will be there. If he says a, a, a woman, a virgin shall conceive and 300 years or 700 years later it happens, he didn't lie. It happened. So what's he telling us that for? He doesn't say anything he doesn't make good. He doesn't speak anything that he doesn't bring to pass. Look at the next verse. Jeremiah 1.12 Then said the Lord to me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. What does God do? The word hasten means I will watch over my word to perform it. What does God perform? His word. Well, this is his word. We have his word. We have the Bible. It's only when a person acts on the word or speaks the word or declares the word does God by his spirit have something to work with. You notice in the beginning in the book of Genesis, the Holy Spirit was hovering upon the face of the deep, but nothing happened until the word was spoken. And then God said, let there be light. And guess what? The Holy Ghost went into operation and there was light. So the word spoken first and then the Holy Ghost moves. When we speak the word of God, the Holy Ghost moves to make good that word that was spoken. So for example, you want to get saved? The word's got to be in your heart and your mouth, the word of faith that we speak. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus to believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For what the heart man believes to righteousness and what the mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. So when you declare or you say, I confess Jesus as Lord, what does the Holy Ghost do? Comes into you, cleans you up. New creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. But you see, it's got to be belief from the heart and a declaration or confession of your mouth. And that's what takes place. But for some reason, the church has limited salvation, soteria in the Greek, to what? Just being saved from sin. But that word doesn't just mean being saved from sin. It means saved, healed, preserved, made whole, delivered, all of those. So with the heart man believes to deliverance and with the mouth confession is made unto deliverance. So with the heart man believes unto healing and with the mouth confession is made unto healing. You can add the, all those words that are in there. So we've got to believe it from the heart. We've got to say it with the mouth. This is the operation of faith. When they said he has no left pulmonary artery, we said, Lord, Mark eleven twenty four. 24, you said, ask and you shall receive. We're asking that you give Andrew a left pulmonary artery, and we're asking it in Jesus' name. We'll get to this principle a little bit later, but you've got to believe you receive it when you ask for it. And so from that point on, we began to speak to his left pulmonary artery that he didn't have. And then they saw that it's a thread. And then in nine months, they said, this left pulmonary artery is normal size. We can't make one. We can't grow one. There's no possible way. One doctor agreed that it was a miracle, but the other one just said, no, something's happening. Guys, strange things happen. Well, that's just how different people look at it. But you see, we've not been taught as we should be in the church, the power of words, death and life are in the power of the what? Tongue. Look at our next verse. Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So wherever God sends his word, he's watching over it to perform it and to make it good. It will not return void. When you and I return the word back to him and say, Father, you said, 
Do you remember when Jesus said to the father concerning Lazarus when he was dying? This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. He made that declaration of faith. And then before he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you heard me. So he made a declaration of faith first, and then the Father watched over it, and that word came to pass, even as he said. We're talking about some big league understanding of faith, you understand. This is not small potatoes. This is huge. And something, like I said, the church has really lacked in. We've done our best to try to really teach these principles of faith. But sometimes people get bored with one subject. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Faith makes it all work. Amen. The gospel does not benefit anyone without mixing faith with it. You've got to have faith in his saving grace, faith in his healing grace, faith in his delivering grace, faith in his protective grace, his provisional grace, faith in the glory and the anointing and the power of God. You've got to believe in it. He said, you believed all these miracles. Okay, you've seen them. You haven't believed my word. And it was not believing the word that kept them out of the promised land. It wasn't because they didn't see miracles. They saw them. Many one, many miracles. They saw the Red Sea part. Did they not? They sure did. They saw the enemy defeated right before their eyes. Absolutely. They saw 4,500 tons of manna come down from heaven every day to feed them. They saw 11 million gallons of water come out of a rock every day for their thirst. A cloud by day, a fire by night. I mean, they saw it all. Did they not? But he said, but you won't believe my word now. When they got to the promised land and they saw the land and they saw there were giants in the land, what they say, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We're too small. We're grasshoppers. They're, they're giants. We're grasshoppers. Whew. So what happened? He said, as you spoke in my ears, Numbers 14, 27, as you spoke in my ears, so will I do to you. Exactly what you said is exactly what you get. It's what you're going to get. And what about the teachers that taught them unbelief? The leaders who said, we can't do it. They're bigger than we are. There's no way. We're like grasshoppers. They're going to defeat us. They're going to beat us. And so on and so forth. They died by the plague before the Lord. What was the plague? Worms ate out their navel, tongues, and jaws. Mouth, heart. Mouth, heart. What a lesson they learned to speak against God like they did. So it's important that we recognize God wants us to value his integrity. And even though the circumstances may not look like he's responding like we want him to, we've got to hold fast to the word of God, knowing it will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he pleases and prosper in the thing whereto he sent it. And it proved out to be true with John being born into the world. When Zacharias was finally told the baby's born, what will his name be? They thought, Zach Jr. Uh-uh. John, he writes on a tablet, John, he gets his speech back. Because you know why? God's word will be performed. He just could, he could have had a better part in it, but he didn't. Look at the next one, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. 
God cannot lie. So guess what? We need to anchor our souls on that. We need to know that he cannot lie. If we are acting on his word from the heart with the mouth, he will bring it to pass. Our faith is in something even as we live on the earth. You realize that? You've got faith in your automobile brakes, don't you? You go down a big hill, aren't you glad they work? But every time you drive, what if they didn't? Anybody here have faith to cross the Ohio River Bridge in Vanport? I never thought about a bridge collapsing to the one in Minnesota. Everybody went down. I think there were some people who were skeptical at that point. It happens. But unconsciously every day we've got faith in natural things. You've got faith in a parent. A child will jump off a the side of a swimming pool under the water, even though it's over his or her head when they're like two years old because daddy's there waiting to catch them. Let, but let daddy miss one time. Just miss one time. They may not jump ever again, at least not in your arms, because doubt will send in. God cannot lie. God does not change. What God promises, he performs. It's up to him to watch over his word and make it good, but it's up to us to do our part and believe his word above all the sense evidences that we encounter, which is why we're told we walk by faith, not by sight, not by seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling. No, no, no. it's by faith. Now, look at this psalm in Psalm 89. God doesn't change. He's the same as he was yesterday, today, forever, and always. Jesus is always the same, and God doesn't change. And God does not in any way, shape, form, or fashion alter his word. Look at Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. We can easily change what we say, can't we? We can give it a little different flair here and there sometimes. Well, I didn't really mean it that way. I meant it this way. God is precise. He does not alter any word that falls from his lips. And notice he says, my covenant will I not break. Do you remember the time when Abraham had a vision, or the Lord appeared to Abraham and told him that he was going to be such and such and so and so. He's going to make him a father of many nations. He's going to raise him up. His seed is going to be as the stars in the sky, etc., etc. He said all that. And what did Abraham say to God? How do I know you're going to do what you said you're going to do? How do I know? What does he tell him to do? Go find some animals. Cut them down the middle. Put them in a trough and let the blood flow. And then put them to sleep. And have him dream. And he watches him walk, which is called the walk of blood, when a covenant is made. And as he walked the covenant of blood, he made promises or blessings and curses. And God said to him, who cannot lie, I am sealing my word with blood. And you know, when you seal the word with blood, your life stands behind your word. Example, you buy an automobile, you sign an ink. You don't pay for the car, they have a right to repossess it. Right? 
without a doubt. Because you reneged on your part of the deal. When you seal it with blood, your life stands behind your commitment. If God does not watch over his word and make it good, when someone acts upon that word, he is saying to Abraham, my life stands behind that word. I will forfeit my life if it doesn't come to pass. He says, now you know, Abraham. Listen, in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God wanted to show Abraham that he could trust him, swore by an oath. God swore by himself. He couldn't swear any higher because there's nobody higher than him. He swore by an oath. And when he made that oath, it was an end of all doubt, an end of all unbelief, because God had to perform his oath. He sealed it with blood and made it very clear to him, I must honor that word or I forfeit my life. Abraham was okay with that. And he, he trusted him. And it was accounted him for righteousness because he believed what God said. Goes on to say in that same chapter, he wanted to show you and me and all of us, he calls us the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, the unchangeableness of his person. He swore by an oath. And he's telling us the same thing. This is an anchor for your soul. You know, in the heat of battle, the soul needs an anchor. There's got to be an anchor. Why? Because it's going back and forth. Double-mindedness to and fro. But God said this, but my body says this. Or God says this, and my checkbook says this. Or God says this, and, and circumstances say that. And we can go vacillating back and forth and back and forth. And this soul needs an anchor. Peter's soul needed an anchor when he was walking on the water, but he didn't hold on to the anchor. He should have held on to the word that says, I'm doing what he said to do, which is come. I'm going to walk on the water all the way to him and all the way back. But he didn't. He got distracted. When he got distracted, the law of faith was interrupted and he began to sink. What does that teach us? What does that show us? These laws and conditions must be met. Otherwise, when they're interrupted, natural laws kick in and take over. What's the natural law when you get out of a boat? And try to walk on water. What's the natural law say? You're going down. But when you operate in a higher law as he was operating, as Jesus operated, what happened? He walked on the water. But when the law was interrupted, what happened? He began to sink. But he called on the one who didn't sink. And thank God he could provide for him the help that he needed. So God does not alter his word. And here's the beauty of this relationship that we have with God. A covenant relationship. It's this. The two covenant heads have to sit down, get together, and negotiate the terms of the covenant or the contract. And they have to kind of put their heads together and just say, you want to give them health benefits? Yeah. Well, to give them health benefits, it's going to have to be, can't be blue cross, blue shield. It has to be the old rugged cross and the shield of faith. Right? He said, okay, we'll, we'll offer them that. They sat together, the Father and the Son, and they negotiated the terms of the covenant. And here's what they come up with. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget one benefit of the covenant. 
He forgives all our sins, heals all our diseases, redeems our lives from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, and satisfies our mouth with good things. That our youth is renewed like the eagles. Fountain of youth is nowhere around the world but in the Word of God. That our youth is renewed like the eagles. His covenant will he not break, nor alter the word that's gone out of his mouth. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. It's when we have that kind of an attitude toward the word of God, that is his integrity in his word, that's when faith really blossoms within our heart. It has to be that way. You know, you know I went to school at Ramah. You know that our, my teacher at the time, Kenneth Hagin, I'll never forget this testimony that he gave. He was out in the field of ministry and he was just getting started out and he needed a certain amount of money just for his survival, just for living. And he asked God for a certain amount and believed God for a certain amount. And after he got his offering, when he got done ministering, he was $20 short. So he said to the pastor, count it again. He said, because I asked him for that much money, I believe I received it and therefore it has to be there. The pastor says, oh, I'll be glad to. Counted it again. He counted it again, three times. He said, Brother Hagin, well, I'm sorry. We, we've counted it over and over and over and over and over again, and we come up with the same amount of money. What do you want us to do? He said, count it again. Count it again. We don't understand. We just counted it over and over and over again. He said, because you see, God can't lie. It has to be there. It has to be there. While he was saying that, he just kind of put his hand in his pocket and pulled out an envelope. He forgot some lady said, would you put this in the offering for me? Open up the envelope, and in the envelope was $25. He got $5 more than what he asked for. And he, while he was teaching this, he said, you know what? Someone once asked me, what would you do? What would you have done if that didn't happen, if you didn't see that money? This was 30 years after. He said, I'd still be counting. 30 years later, I'd still be counting because God can't lie. It's, it's when we have that kind of mentality that says, if there's any error, it's not on the Godward side. It has to be only on the manward side because we're capable of error. He's not. He's not. But we have to have that kind of integrity and understanding of his integrity, rather. So, number one, faith must be based on the word of God. We must have the word of God. We can't just make up or manufacture our own faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. It begins with him. It ends in him. It's fine-tuned in him and everything in between. So when he says, whatever, go dip in the river seven times to Naaman. What does Naaman do? I got cleaner waters where I came from. I'm not going to dip in your muddy waters. I'm going, I'm going back to my, my rivers. You could have told me to do it up there. Save me a trip and all this stuff. And the servant said to him, Oh, Lord, come on. He asked you to dip in the water seven times to, to cleanse you from leprosy and you won't do it? Is there something wrong with you? If he said to go, do something mighty and, and of great valor, would you do it? Yeah. So go dip. With every dip, there was another layer of pride that came off the man. And finally on the seventh dip, he comes out and he's cleansed of all leprosy. What's the point? If the man didn't cooperate, there's no healing for him. Someone would have said, yeah, he went down to Israel, but the, he didn't get healed. He wouldn't have gotten healed because he didn't do what God said to do. Faith to dip in that water seven times came to him by the prophet. He could have faith to do that, but he had no faith to do it until finally somebody convinced him to have faith in what the prophet said. 
He allowed his anger and his offense to rule his life. So finally he walks away. But then when he was convinced to go back and do it, he got healed. So every one of us needs to realize our faith must be rooted and grounded in what God has said. Remember Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, at the end of 5 and verse 6 says, He hath said that you may boldly say. What we say must be rooted and grounded in what he said. Do you see that? It's not what I say. It's what he said. And if he said it, I can say it. If he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say what? The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man should do unto me. I have a right to say that. Believing that he'll watch over that word and make it good. But if I'm just saying something aimlessly based on what I want, based on what I think, based on a whim, that's not faith. It must be based on and rooted in what God has spoken or God has said. You realize it says in the Luke's gospel, how much more shall your father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? We have a right to ask him to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. But we've got to ask him to do so, to fill us up. By faith, I can believe that because he said it. If he didn't say it, I would have no right to believe it. But if he said it, I can ask and believe I receive it. So it has to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. Look at number two. We need to ask. We must ask. If we don't ask, how are we going to get it? Another condition. Sometimes people want help from God but never ask for it. But look in Matthew's gospel chapter 7. And all this is found in Luke's gospel as well. What Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. So ask and you shall receive and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks, everyone that asks, what? Receives and he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son should ask bread, should he give him a stone? If he had fish, would he give him a serpent? If he asked for a bread, would he give him a scorpion? Well, then if you being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts or give the Holy Spirit, as Luke says, to them who ask him? Now, in James chapter 4, we are told, and you can see this as well, that if we don't ask, we're not going to get anything. You have not because you ask not. James chapter 4, let's throw that up there. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, you have not because you ask not. And then in verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Notice his condition here. You have to ask God for what you want. Even though he knows you need it, he wants you to ask him for it. But then secondly, the motive here has to be pure. Not to consume it upon our own lusts. He says you ask, you don't receive because... You don't ask. But you ask and receive not because you ask with the wrong motive behind it. I want to be healed so I can play football. Sorry, that's not the right motive. You should want to be healed because Jesus, by his stripes, provides healing for you. Because you want to serve God with your life. That's why you want to be healed. That's the right motive. And oftentimes people will say, well, I want to work because I, I want to do, I mean, I want to be healed so I can go to work. I want to be healed for all these reasons but the main reason is because someone bore your sickness and carried your pains and by his stripes you were healed 
And so you want to serve him with your life, your physical life. You want your body dedicated to his work and service, which is why you want to be healed. That's the right motive. So we have to ask. So if we ask for the Holy Spirit, we have to ask for the Holy Spirit. Then we have to believe to receive the Holy Spirit. And if we ask for it, we can receive it. We can expect to receive the Holy Spirit. So we must meet the right conditions. I've got to ask. I've got to ask with the right motive. Look at the next one. Sometimes there's a command. And let's not get confused here with these words. But it's easy to if you don't understand sometimes the Greek. Sometimes he's asking us to command things to be done. Not of him. We don't command God to do anything. We don't demand God to do anything. But we command a circumstance to line up. We command a devil to get off our property. We cast him out in Jesus' name and command him to go. All right, so let's look at this. In John 14, 12 through 14, wonderful verses of scripture. Verily, verily, where there's a double verily, it means this is really important. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall I do also, and greater works than he shall I do. Why? Because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask, the Greek word there means call for, command, or request. You ask in my name, that will I do. Notice Jesus is saying, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in his Son. If you ask anything, once again, same word, ask, require, command, ask. I, in my name, who will do it? I will do it. Jesus says, if you give a command in my name, I will do it. All right. How do I know that that's true here? Because in John 16, he said, if you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Here he says, if you command in my name, I will do it. There's a difference between the Father giving something to you and Jesus doing something when you command something in his name. And so we have examples here in the word of God. In Mark 16, look at verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out demons or devils. Let's stop right there. Jesus never said, ask the father to evict the demon. No, he said, but in my name, you cast out the demon. You cast out the demon. What is he teaching us? We have authority to use his name to stop the work of the enemy, to cast the devil out and command that he release his hold. If it's your life, a child's life, or whatever the situation might be, it's a command that we give to the enemy to put him in his place and let him know he cannot dominate our lives. We give him no entry point, no opportunity to do what he wants to do. He may not devour us, but it's up to us to understand that we have to use the authority that he has given us over the enemy. In one situation when my son was very young and had a high fever, came out of nowhere, and I put my one child to bed, and this other one I'm putting in, and he put him in the bed. He is burning up, high fever, laboring to breathe. I mean, really going after it. Just got done ministering to somebody on the street who had fell down. He fell down and cut his head open, took him to his house, ministered to him, preached to him the gospel, then took my son home and all that. 
demonstrating the love of God first, leading that person to Christ, and then going back home. And here's my son, who was perfectly normal when I started this, and all of a sudden he is laboring to breathe, blood, I mean, I mean, his high fever and all that. Well, when I got done, I walked into his room. I was just going to lay hands on him, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. As I went to go lay hands on him, suddenly it was like I hit a brick wall and stopped. And I heard the voice of the Lord inside me come real loud and just saying, you've demonstrated my love to somebody. I'm going to show my love for you now. And I knew exactly what to do. Just stood there, looked at my son and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you come out of him. All of a sudden, a black bird-like figure flew off the top of his head. I watched it fly out the window. And when it came off of his head, he went <sighs> and was breathing perfectly normal, completely gone. The fever is completely gone. He's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. Just like that. I've never seen a fever move that fast. Maybe Peter's mother-in-law, I don't know. That might have happened with her. But I mean, it went in a heartbeat just like that. It wasn't one of those that you had to, you know, stay in faith for hours or a day or whatever. Instantly gone. Why? The command was given. These things operate in the spirit. And it's important we understand that. We need to step into that realm. We need to get a hold of God. Have a relationship with him. Have intimacy with him. Walk in harmony with him. Stay in tune with him. And what an experience that was to actually see that occur. You know, we're talking about this. It's not a command, but it's a release of angelic beings. A release of angelic beings. And sometimes you're criticized for teaching like this. I don't know why it's all Bible. Did you ever read in Psalm 103 verse 20 that it says, Angels hearken to the voice of his word? In a snowstorm. I'm driving up to Youngstown, up Route 11. And it's so nasty. I mean, really nasty. The weather is so bad. It's snowing snow bad. Cars were in a ditch on the side of the road. And I knew how dangerous it was. And I said, Father, I want to thank you for angels. I release my angels to minister for me. I'm going up there to teach a Bible study, get us safety there and safely back home. I release my angels. Got all the way up there, went past all these cars that were in a ditch. Taught the Bible study, came home late at night. It was like midnight. On the way back home, these things happened to me for some reason on Route 11 coming between Calcutta and East Liverpool, Ohio. And all of a sudden, in this snowstorm that's coming so bad, so thick, you can hardly see. I'm driving in the middle of the four-lane highway down the middle of the road. And all of a sudden, some being is standing right in front of my car. And all I can say is I'm going to kill him. And the person, this angel, I knew it was my angel. Not then, right not that moment. But after I drove through him and he didn't die, then I knew it was my angel. And he has one hand on my car and other hand waving to me just like that. In the middle of the highway, in the middle of the night, at 12 o'clock at night. In a snowstorm where you can't see hardly in front of your car. I drive right through him. He's smiling, looking at me like that, waving just like that. Angels have a sense of humor. He had a scarf around his neck. It was pretty bad that night. You know what I mean? After I said, I'm going to kill him. Then it hit me. Oh, I released my angels. Lord, you just showed me my angel. Wow. And you know what? Not that it was doubtful, but I checked the news to make sure nobody was dead on Route 11 in Ohio. 
Mm -hmm. Nobody was killed. Not a word. It's been, what, how many years? <laughs> Thanks be to God. But you, you see, we've been invited to step into this realm. But it takes faith to step into it. We've got to believe in the integrity of God's word. We've got to believe in God's faithfulness to perform his promise. Knowing that what he said he will bring to pass. And that his word does not return back to him void. And when we're told to ask, then ask. When you're told to command, then command. What you release. Remember he said in, in Matthew 16 verse 19 talking to Peter. You've got the keys to the kingdom. What you allow will be allowed. What you disallow will be disallowed. If you allow it, it's going to happen. Don't allow it. How am I going, not going to allow it? By using your faith. By speaking the word. Using the name of Jesus. Declaring your faith. Stopping the devil in his tracks and say, no more. You will not have my family. You will not have my finances. You will not have my children. You will not have, and just let, let it go on. But look at uh, this other one in Acts chapter 3. And then we'll close it with this one. Acts chapter 3. Peter and, and uh, John are at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. Asking alms, there's a guy asking alms of them that entered the temple. Who's seeing Peter and John entering the temple as an alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. Please, Father, let him rise up and walk. He didn't say, please, Father, let him rise up and walk. He didn't say, I'm asking you, Father, to make it possible for him to walk. No. What did he do? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand. Immediately, he lifted him up. And immediately he leaped and walked into the, into the temple, walking and praising God, healed and whole. It was a command that was given. It wasn't an asking. It was a commanding. In my name. Command anything in my name and I will do it. Who did, who did it? Jesus did it. Why? In my name, there am I in the midst of thee. In my name, there am I. I love those six words. In my name, there am I. So when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus appeared and said, let's go. Got him up. Jesus did it. He didn't do it. They say Peter and John did it. No, Jesus did it. Because he said, if you command in my name, I will do it. He did it. In my name. And they rose up. He rose up and walked. Walked into the temple, walking and leaping and praising your God. And all the people saw him walking and praising your God. They thought there were some kind of gods because this had happened. And they get around him. And Peter says, look, it's not because of us mm -mm, that this man's walking, that this man is whole. His name through faith in his name, verse 16, hath given, hath made this man whole, has given them this perfect soundness in the presence of ye all. Peter was from the south. Ye all. That's why he's walking. He gave a command. So why are we teaching this? We've got to follow the rules. We've got to walk within the guidelines. We've got to meet the conditions. Because you see the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is up here above the law of sin and death. And we want to operate in this, not in this. This is navigated through by the five physical senses. And if we just go by this, if you see it, you believe that's how it has to be. Hear it? It's got to have to be, and so on and so forth. But that's not it. There's a higher law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that we can set in motion far above the law of sin and death. Somebody say amen. amen. But it's up to us to meet the conditions so that that law can operate. Come on. Amen? amen. 
Praise God. Let's all stand together before the Lord.